I think that that didn't feel right to me. So, you know, I took a beat and I, I paused and I would encourage honestly everyone to do the same. Take that breath, you know, really pause and reflect. And, and I'd say, don't forget to ask for help when needed. You know, it's okay to say, I need some help and guidance or I, I just don't know. And just network up a storm. You'll be really surprised by I think how open and how willing people are to help you. And most of all, just keep going. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening to the Active Ingredient Podcast. I'm your host, Sophie Wheel, and I am a deeply curious person who is constantly on a mission to uncover the light that exists within all of us. On this podcast, I talk to people from all walks of life who have uncovered their light and actively cultivate it in their everyday, whether it be through career, relationships, spirituality, or a combination of the three. My hope is that these conversations help us start uncovering our own light that already exists within us which is what I like to call our active ingredient so that we can tap into it, bring it to the forefront and live the lives that we were intended to. All right. We are back with an all new active ingredient episode. I am your host, Sophie Wheel, And this week's episode is with Suze Dowling, who is a co-founder and the president of Pattern Brands, which is a family of brands. We can think of it kind of as a parent or a holding company to a group of direct-to-consumer brands that are disrupting the home space. And the three brands under the umbrella include Equal Parts, Open Spaces, and they recently acquired Gear. Suze is an Aussie transplant who came to New York with not one contact and is now the co-founder of one of the buzziest companies in New York. She is incredibly successful and views New York as her true home now. Prior to starting Pattern Brands, Suze was partner at Gin Lane, which was one of the leading marketing agencies behind, you know, just some casual names like Harry's, Sweetgreen, Hymns, Smile Drag Club, Everlane, Warby Parker, pretty, pretty major. So on this episode, we get into the power of networking. Again, she came here with not one contact and has built her way to where she's now in her career always stepping into the role above you, even if you don't have the title yet, knowing when it's time to branch out on something new, saying goodbye to an old identity, and of course we get into all things home. So before we get into the interview, we are hosting our first ever giveaway, which is super exciting. And two listeners are gonna be receiving a custom package of kitchen goods from gear. And after we did this recording, Suze gave me a package of gear products and oh my God, we definitely get into what the Spoonula is in this episode, but oh my God, it is just so incredible. And we're going to be putting together an incredible package to give to two listeners. Um, All you have to do is give the podcast five stars and a quick review on Apple Podcasts. Take a screenshot of it and DM me the screenshot at Active Ingredient. And two of our listeners will be getting a whole amazing package of gear products. And with that, welcome Suze to the show. (music) 
All right, Suze, thank you so much for being on the Active Ingredient Podcast. I'm so excited to hear about your crazy journey from across the world. So thank you for being here. Sophie, thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited and such a fan. All right, so we hear a little accent. Where are you from? I'm from Australia. Where? I like to think that I sound American these days. Uh, I grew up in a little town called Port Pirie, which is basically in the middle of nowhere in South Australia, um, which is still where my, my family live. Oh my God. Do you go often? I haven't actually been able to go home in quite some time because of COVID. Oh so there has been some, some pretty stringent is travel it? restrictions. Yeah, still. Oh my yeah, God. And so. what about the vaccines? Is that is there a rollout situation? They're rolling them out slowly, I'd say. Um, I, I think we're, we're much further along here. Uh, but you know, I'm hopeful that next year I'll, I'll get to head home and, and see, you know, my brother and, and my extended family. Oh, well, I hope that that happens for you too, because it's a very long time. <laughs> it is, though it's also a very long flight. So I feel like at the totally. moment I'm, I'm, you know, okay to hold off and, and thank God for Skype and for FaceTime and everything totally. else. Totally. Um, you know, my Nana did turn 100, though, and I missed that. 100? 100. What are her secrets? What are her secrets? It's just jeans? (laughs) Like, what does she do? Honestly, I mean, she's the most adorable, tiny little person you've you've ever met. She, um, but she's a big personality. And and certainly, I think I probably get some of my personality traits from her. She's, uh, she's, uh, yeah, a real individual. But is is she doing something to get to 100? Like, is she like, does she drink a certain thing? Or I mean, a lot of tea. No coffee? No coffee. A lot of tea. But you know what? She's she's lived her life. She's enjoyed herself. So That's why I, I f- my grandmother's 95, I think. And I, I'm like, she just lives her life. And I'm like, I need to take a page out of your book. She has her jam and her and her cracker every single day, her coffee. She doesn't overeat, but she eats whatever she wants. My Nana has a lot of cake. I want to have a lot of cake. <laughs> I feel like next time we should do a podcast with our grandmothers. I, There'll be like a language barrier because mine only speaks Spanish, but... Well, mine, you just have to yell out a lot because she's losing her hearing. So it would make for quite the experience. But wouldn't that actually be an amazing podcast? Like I mean, listening to their, their active ingredients and like they're 95. You know what I mean? I or mean, 95 and 100. My Nana got the letter from the queen. What? Yeah. That's incredible. That is incredible. Okay. Well, now that we're going down a family tree, <laughs> I always kick off every podcast asking the guests what they were like as a kid that they remember. And I know that you asked around in your fam what you were like. Um, and I'm curious, are there any qualities in your childlike self that you see in your day-to-day now as an adult that is thriving? Yeah. You know what? I, I definitely did do my homework. <laughs> I, I don't come unprepared. And I think that's probably just summing me up as a person. But, you know, honestly, as a little kid, I was incredibly quiet and introverted. But, you know, I was also very self-driven, very dedicated and very, very determined, as my mom, you know, really emphasized. And then as I developed into a, a school-aged child, I, you know, I always felt the need to perform and overachieve somewhat. I had really, really high standards for myself. And, uh, you know, I also had though a strong point of view and kind of this innate internal motivation and, and drive within and that kind of underpinned everything that, that I did. I wanted to be involved in 
absolutely everything. And, and I really, I love to educate everyone around me uh, <laughs> on all of my very strong opinions. And I, I still remember actually making my Nana, not the hundred year old Nana, um, sit down and, and be my student. So I would sit her down and I would really educate her on all of the lessons that I thought she needed to learn in order to be able to babysit me. <laughs> <laughs> no, you didn't. Oh, absolutely. I would sit her down. I had a little blackboard. I'd get my chalk out and I'd be like, Nana, listen up. That <laughs> is the best story I've ever heard. Like, let me tell you a thing about how you should take care of me. Oh, absolutely. That's um, amazing. And then as a teenager, I actually received a scholarship to a school in Sydney. Mm. So that saw me, you know, relocate from from this very small town that I'd grown up with and, and move there. Why did you want to move there? education, you know, was a big reason. But to, to be honest, as a kid, I I always knew I, I wanted to leave my town. I just had no clue where I was going to be. And, and I've always been a person to really go on gut and, and instinctual feeling. And so when I was given the opportunity to sit, to move to Sydney, you know, I was 15 and I just said, okay, let's do this. I'm always curious with people that have this at such a young age on like what was around you that gave you that insight that that was even a possibility. Because I feel like what, you know, the people around you are doing definitely dictates a lot of what we do. And I'm curious, like, was there someone around that was doing it? Like, how did you even have that kind of driver or vision to get there? Look, I think a part of it was just innate to, to who I was. Mm -hmm. It was kind of part of my DNA. But my dad was a really big influence on on my life. And, you know, he was just such an incredible person. Um, he loved to travel. And so when when he and my mom were first married before they had kids, they traveled all around the world and lived everywhere. And And he really, you know, instilled in me such a sense that you can do anything you want to do, just go and do it. So when I told him at 15 that I wanted to move to Sydney and go to this school, he said, okay, let's make it happen. When I told him at 24 that I was planning on moving halfway around the world to the U.S. and had actually never been to the U.S. before, he said, okay, I support you. How can I help you? Um, and I think having that support system in place is is absolutely critical. A hundred percent. But was there anything that you were seeing? And I, I want to go like in order, but even coming to the States, like, was there anything that you were seeing on this side of the world that you were like, that's what I want to be a part of that I'm not getting there, which you're going to laugh. Look, I, I grew up watching like American television, you know, that's that's a lot of the TV we watch in Australia. And so a lot of the shows we were watching were like friends. I thought that living in New York was going to be a huge, beautiful apartment with a group of people <laughs> that just popped around and came in my door. Um, so I think there was definitely a part of me that was also super naive. I mean, the core reason I, I moved here, you know, and I know we'll get into it later, really was for my career. But I think, you know, there is a part of me that for as practical as I am, I'm still a dreamer. I really am. And, and I really kind of dream blue skies, the limit kind of thinking. And I had a picture of what the U.S. could be. Uh, and I was friends. pretty determined to, <laughs> to, to make it happen. By the way, you're not the first person to say that Friends was what got them to the U.S. or Sex in the City or any of these like shows that embody, quote unquote, New York. Um, but I am always curious because I feel like we don't understand the impact of these shows or what we're seeing. And I'm very curious because now I feel like with the democratization of just 
everyone's day-to-day life and like what we saw was shows but now what people are seeing are literally like daily vlogs and like you know from all these different parts of the world that I'm curious how that's going to translate on how people make their decisions you know for the generations to come because for all of us millennials like those shows really were a huge part of it. Absolutely. And I mean, in my hometown, you know, the TV reception wasn't very good sometimes. So I'd be watching like a blurry screen trying to make out the words of friends and and determined to sit sit right through the half an hour. So, you know, there was a lot of commitment, you know, great, great days pre-internet, I guess. That's so funny. So, okay. So what did you think that you wanted to do? You went to Sydney for uh, high school, you said? I went for high school. And um, stayed for university mm-hmm. and then worked for a few years. So I actually thought I was going to become a teacher. Oh. Um, I mean, I guess it goes back to the, the education roots with, with my Nana. Um, <laughs> I'm not over that. I'm not over that. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't think she ever will be. Um, but I was actually the first in my family to go to university. And, and I studied. Are you the oldest? Sorry to interrupt. No, I'm actually the youngest. So mm. I have an older brother who is about seven and a half years older. And um, it's so funny when we get together because we're polar opposites on the outside. I'm pretty short. He's pretty tall. Um, <laughs> he, he actually still lives in, in Australia. Funnily enough, married to an American. So oh. both both of us ended up with Americans. But um, they they live up in the Northern Territory. So in the country with big property. And he can't imagine anything worse than living in New York. <laughs> um but no, so I was the first in the family to, to go to university and, and um, I studied education and, and really specialized in behavioral and learning difficulties in kids. So that was something that I'm very thankful that I did. But I actually, I graduated really early um, and finished my degree a year early. So so by the time I was 20, I was, you know, out in the world having graduated my my degree. But what I think really changed my path was throughout university, I was actually a nanny. And that really was such an eye-opening experience because I was working for this really incredible woman whose whose name was Jane. And she was a mom of two, and she ran her own communications agency in Sydney. And um, I got to know her incredibly well over the years of working for her because after her second baby, she actually moved to working from home. So I really mm. was able to get a deep appreciation for the media and communications in in kind of working for her and just being in that environment. And, you know, I would speak to her about my fears of going into teaching and, and that I wasn't quite sure whether it was what I was meant to be doing or not. And um, she was the one that actually really encouraged me to try a variety of career paths. So encouraging me to get a lot of different internships throughout university, which was an awesome, you know, experience. She then helped me to get my first full-time job, which was working in celebrity management. Oh, wow. I cannot wait to get into that. (laughs) Um, And, you know, look, it was a great experience. It was very humbling. I had to roll up my sleeves, work around the clock, say yes to everything. Um, but she actually poached me back from that job to come and work for her again, but this time, you know, at her agency. And um, we we represented a number of, of print magazines. That was really a lot of the kind of PR that we were doing. 
And it, it was kind of at that time that I was able to see firsthand over like the last decade, just this dramatic decline in, in print media, you know, like print publishes. What had, year was this? Well, this was probably 2010, 2011. Wow. Yeah. You know, and before that, I feel like it was the magazine heyday. I'd actually done a bunch of internships at magazines. Yeah. I was loving the beauty closet. I was having totally. the time of my life. Um, but we really did see this just rise in online consumption of media and how that changed, I think, how people interact with with kind of print media. Don't get me wrong. I actually still adore reading a physical newspaper and kind of smell and the scent of it all. But the reality is, you know, ad dollars were down and it was a really tough time to, to be mm -hmm. in the industry. But for me, it was so eye opening because I really realized that I wanted to be in an industry that I felt was more at its infancy and had just a world of potential ahead of it. And that really was digital media. And so it's a very that's a very specific thought to have at such a young age. To, like I feel like a lot of people get stuck in like the this isn't for me, the uncertainty doesn't feel right. But for you to like be able to identify that you want to be working in an industry that is in its infancy at that age is pretty remarkable. Well, thank you. I mean, I'm a very specific person. Um, you know, I think it it was something where I really wanted to think strategically about where I wanted to go. I didn't quite know my end goal, but I knew that I wanted to be somewhere where also being young was an asset and where I could grow with that industry. So it, it really was such a deliberate decision that I made. And it was very tough because I also had an incredible amount of loyalty to Jane for all that she'd taught me, not only in working at her agency, but in really seeing me grow up and go through university and helping to, to shape my path. Um, Those are literally the most important people in our lives. Like I, the fact that she even told you, like, try everything. And I'm also, before we get into like a little bit further into what this experience taught you, I'm curious what, when you came to her and you were like, oh, education, there's just something that doesn't feel right for me. What was it that you were looking for and that you thought education wouldn't give you? I think I, I did feel, especially when I was, you know, 18, 19, 20, what, what do I really have? Like, what have I learned that I can really pass on to to these kids. What life experiences, you know, have I had? I had picked a university where I was really lucky, actually, because we got to do practical experience, like actually in schools mm -hmm. as a, a relief teacher um, from the first year of university. So I'd had actually a lot of in-classroom experience. And while I did adore it, and again, still really love telling people about all of my opinions, <laughs> um, there there was something that was just missing in some ways. And, and for me, there was a challenge that was missing. I think I, I always felt that if the time was right, I could go back to education, but that I might miss an opportunity that's right in front of me, you know, if I hadn't explored further. When I picked my degree, I had really picked it pretty early into moving to Sydney. And so I hadn't necessarily had honestly the opportunity and exposure to really see 
what the world had to offer. You've got to remember, you know, I grew up in that small country town. We had a ribbon cutting ceremony for our first traffic light, you know? Stop. <laughs> I just got goosebumps. That's the cutest thing ever. I crave that life so much sometimes. I'm not even kidding. I mean, you know, it was really wonderful. But I, I grew up really being told you're either going to be a teacher or a librarian because I really love to read books. Um, and so I hadn't really ever taken the time to think for myself, like, what do I want to be? Right. Like, what am I good at? What like brings me joy every day? And I think it's actually partially still some parts of education. It's why I love managing a team. Mm-hmm. But, but I also, you know, really love business and solving problems. And, and I think, you know, that's where, you know, I was lucky to be able to to develop such an open dialogue with Jane in the time working Mm -hmm. with her and for her to really act as, as my first mentor. Totally. So I'm curious doing press for magazines, what, and in Australia, what did that look like and what did that entail? And what'd you learn from it? (laughs) Three, Uh, three prong question. (laughs) I learned how to to spin a really great story. So a lot of the the press that we were doing was really for larger cover shoots. So I worked actually for a People Magazine's sister publication in Australia called Who Magazine. So they have different themed cover shoots per mm-hmm. year, you know, the sexiest people issue, the, you know, XYZ. And so we would create and generate a lot of press around those shoots. So I was literally on set, you know, watching the, the cover shoot happen. I was going and being the, the door person at the events to celebrate. And then we were doing all of the press placements. Um, so it was a really fun time of my life. Um, I learned so much. I think I also learned to put myself out there. You know, I'm naturally a more introverted person. But in in PR and communications, you have to be a professional extrovert. You have to be willing to build a dialogue and and a relationship and and kind of uh, not be afraid of anyone saying no to you. 100,000%. I mean, I work in PR. So that I actually identify also as an introvert truly at my core. But when I'm in work mode, it's like, I literally don't care if I get rejected 5,000 times in a row. I literally don't care Same. if I have to talk to anyone. Like, it's like, there's two parts of me that are so polar opposite. I don't get it. You're, you're talking to yourself in me. I, I literally feel the same way. I think the real me at at home is just a really like introverted homebody that Same. loves to. <laughs> Are you a Cancer, perchance? No, no, I'm an Aries actually. Oh. So I um I definitely have that stubbornness, you know, mm-hmm. in me. <laughs> but I I just I'm yeah I'm a homebody. Honestly, COVID for for me was something that. You know, I didn't mind being at home in my pajama pants and, you know, sitting with my cat. Um, I think it taught my fiance and I actually that he's a very extroverted person and I'm actually a very introverted person, but we, you know, balance each other out in that way. Okay, so you worked for this incredible agency. You got all of this experience. You learned a ton about business, networking, all these different things. At what point in that whole journey were you starting to think about moving to the States and why was that the next career move for you? So, you know, 
after I'd really said to Jane, hey, I, I'm, I'm leaving the agency, I went and, and worked for a pretty progressive but very early stage digital agency still in Sydney. And that was really working on how to build profitable digital first businesses. Mm-hmm. So worked across a, a bunch of different projects from e-commerce to social to app to kind of advanced digital to physical installations. And, you know, that taught me a lot. I was working with top tier national and global brands at that point. But it was kind of as I started to like really get into it and realize, well, how can I be at the forefront of of this industry? And I kind of realized that to do that, I I really had to be here in the U.S. So the primary reason I, I moved here, I would say, was for my career, but also quite frankly, for an adventure. You know, I, I how old were you? I was 24. Oh, wow. I just turned 24 like two or three days before I flew out. Wow. So I'd never really traveled the world. I was a bit of a workaholic, still probably am. And um, I really thought moving to another country was going to be a bit of a holiday. Um, that wasn't the case. <laughs> But I am just so, so thankful. You know, I I think when I made the decision to move to the U.S., it was really about, okay, if I want to be at the forefront of technology, where should I be? And it kind of came down to San Francisco or New York, right? I, I think for me, ultimately, what put New York over the tipping point, though, was just the kind of the allure of having four proper seasons, and the chance to see snow. I had never seen snow before. And I just thought, oh, how magical. And I still remember, you know, that first winter in New York. And it was a a pretty snowy, like, blustering winter. And the first snow, though, I literally went and stood on the middle of the street. And I do mean the street, not the (laughs) footpath. Looking up, like hands in the air, trying to catch the snowflakes. And it was just such a special feeling of being like, oh, I'm here. And, you know, to this day, you know, nearly a decade later, I still adore winter and still adore the snow, um, much to the amusement of uh, a lot of people around me. (laughs) Um, But, you know, I was really lucky. I I met actually one of my now co-founders, Emmett Shine, on what was my third day in New York. How? And also, like, when you moved here, did you have a job lined up or interviews lined up or what was what was the plan? You know what? I'd spent about six months planning, you know, before actually moving here. But planning was more so trying to look up a bunch of companies, starting to apply for jobs and realizing that until I was in New York, no one was going to actually it's, even look at my application. By the way, that is not even just true for Australia to New York. I'm from Miami and I was applying to jobs, even with a New York, like a quote unquote New York address. It is not the same. Like if you want to move to a city, you have to be in the city to apply. I think that's a really good takeaway. I'm, I, we actually do have a lot of Australian listeners. Um, you can definitely like set up meetings for when you get here prior. But yeah, I'm curious. Absolutely. I I really think, you know, things also move so swiftly here. Mm -hmm. And I think that was a bit of a difference to Australia because in Australia, for example, you typically have a six-week notice period. There's It's just a little more slow moving in the job market. 
Whereas if you're not here already, and quite frankly, if you aren't able to explain your visa situation in one snappy sentence, you're not going to even get an interview. But for me, actually, it was networking and cold networking that that really changed the game. So I was in Australia and I was trying to think, honestly, how do I come at this from as many different angles to just try and get someone to have a conversation with me? And so I thought, okay, I'm going to go on LinkedIn and I'm going to look up who are the Australians in New York. You know, sounds easy enough. And then I started reaching out to people and being like, hi, I'm an Australian. You're an Australian. Want to help me? Um, It's like a (laughs) match.com. It literally was. And I had no shame. I would just reach out to anyone and everyone just to try and say, Will you have a conversation? Will you give me some advice? And I actually found this this woman who was in New York, and I'd seen that she'd gone to the same university that I had, but Mm. just, you know, 10 or so years prior. And so I used that as my in. I always think, like, college is so TBD if it's actually useful for, you know, the knowledge that you gain from being in college. But, like, the alma mater actually really does help a ton, you know? I think especially in the U.S. it does. Yeah. I'd say I think I did get lucky and, and you know, she, she was kind of like, okay, well, I'll take a meeting with you. Just let me know when you're in New York. So I was like, I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, I was able to get on her calendar to have a coffee on the Monday morning. So I arrived on a Friday night. I was meeting her at 9 a.m. Monday morning. Like, it was happening. And I went in and, and met with her, and she was like, you know, I know someone that you really need to meet. I said, oh, do, do you? Like, okay, great. And she was like, well, let me just give him a text and, and see what's up. And so she actually texted Emmett, and um, they, they knew each other socially. And he was like, sure, send her around to our office. I'll, I'll take a meeting. Uh, which also very unusual, very lucky. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was two hours later, I'm walking up to our, our Bowery office at the time and saying, hi, I'm Suze. Um, at that stage, I was still wearing very, very high heels because <laughs> I hadn't learned that New York was a walking city. Mm-hmm. And so I tottered in on my very high heels and was like, Hi. And, you know, I, I don't think he really realized that I thought it was an interview. He just thought it was a nice informational meeting. But I started basically talking at him as though I was interviewing myself. I um, love it. And then two days after that, so less than a week in New York, he gives me a call and says, do you want a job? And I said, OK, let's do it. And, and you know, the, the rest is really history. So this was, so Emmett it, or was the founder of Gin Lane at the Correct. time? So okay. Emmett was the founder of Gin Lane and, and Gin Lane was a brand and, and marketing agency where, you know, it had been around for, for a couple of years before I joined, mostly in the marketing sphere. And then as I joined, which was in 2013, we um, really started working with early stage entrepreneurs to launch them to market. So um, we we actually became, I'd say, pretty well known within New York for kind of disrupting the direct-to-consumer space. So we helped to launch Harry's, Hymns. Uh, we worked with Smile Direct Club, Quip, and, and you know, many, many more. Um, 
my role there was as general manager. So that really saw me leading the, the processes for how we would work with startups and really kind of navigating day zero to launch and then beyond. Um, and it was just a really fantastic, you know, experience and, and time in our lives. So what were the services of Gin Lane? So we offered um, a, a couple of things. The first was really brand development. And that was a process that we ran most typically with with entrepreneurs that had an idea but had not yet kind of navigated through the process of building their brand, of naming it, of creating the personality around it or any of kind of the, the presence. And so we would work with them literally to go from kind of strategy and ideation through to naming, through to visual identity design, and then really, you know, all of their digital presence. The digital presence portion we really thought of as experience design. So really how are you designing the experience to feel as human and captivating as it can and to really feel, even though it is digital, like a two-way interaction between the, the person and the screen. So you guys would literally build the websites for Harry's, we, for him's. We would literally build the websites. We would design. We would do the photo shoots. It was... Um, you know, a really small team of us. It was about 20 or so people. Wow. Um, so you were there for six and a half years, I believe. Yeah. So we were, were there for, for quite some how time. How did your role change within that time? And how did the industry change also? So my role when I first came was honestly very undefined. You know, I was doing some account management, some project management, some operations. And it was really me that kind of navigated my way through just kind of taking on more responsibility mm -hmm. as I went. And I think that's, you know, a tip I would have for, for everyone is, you know, don't be afraid to put yourself out there and just take on more responsibility and really act like you're at that next level, mm -hmm. even if you don't have the official title or, or you know, promotion. Excellent advice. Um, but, you know, how the industry changed, you know, I, I would say is when we were first you know, starting out, it was a lot of custom development. It was a, a really time and labor intensive process to build a website. I think the rise of platforms like Shopify have just changed the game fundamentally in a really, really exciting way. And that it's a, it's easier to begin an e-commerce business. Than we can literally start a company before. right now while we're doing this podcast. I mean, why don't we? <laughs> why With not? our grandmas. <laughs> No, but it's so true. Yeah. So you're saying that that was competing with the services that you guys were offering? Uh, look, I think we were always one step ahead of the curve. Mm -hmm. And I think what we were able to do that was incredibly special was how we built the brands mm. and that fundamental positioning strategy, voice design work that can't really be commoditized. All right. Now we're at pattern. And I am really curious because like the active ingredient, we're going to get into like the whole psyche of everything. But for the psyche transition from working at Gin Lane to deciding to fold it and then now becoming a co-founder of this like next iteration or next business, you know, what was that whole process like? It could not have been an overnight thing. This had to have been you had a successful business before, you know, like that's I feel like a lot of founders listen to this podcast and maybe are thinking of either changing their business or completely pivoting. Um, 
what did that whole process look like? When did the conversation start happening and why pattern? Whew. Good questions. Uh, you know, it was really, it was with a lot of care and thought. You know, the idea of creating a company we'd talked about for honestly many years, but going from actually talking about it to then actually doing it, two fundamentally, you know, different things. And so when we made the decision, though, we really did commit fully. That was important to us. We didn't want to be one foot in agency world, one foot in building our business. We didn't think that would be fair to either business nor to our team. So we really jumped, you know, both feet in, kind of like me when I moved to, to New York. You know, it's, it's you commit fully and you just go for it. Um, and then for the transition, we really wanted to take the time to do it very, very carefully. We wanted to be respectful of the clients that we had. But, you know, also really importantly, our people. You know, our, our people and our team have always been such a part of what made Gin Lane and, and now makes Pattern just so incredibly special. I, I feel so, so very lucky to get to work with, with those that I do every single day. And so that was very important to us that, A, we communicate with our team as we went through that thought process, which I think is a little unusual. I think sometimes folks don't communicate early and often until it's a fully formed plan. Mm -hmm. We, you know, whether right or wrong, we did. And I think, you know, in our instance, that was what was right for us and our team. And we actually began a transition of actually bringing our team with us on that journey and bringing them across to, to, to pattern. So we still have, you know, a, a great number of, of, you know, very early gin lane folks with us, you know, that are with us at pattern today. How did that, how did that transition? I'm just like curious on like the, for you also, because I, I want to know like how the company did it, but I also want to know from your perspective, like you started working at in an entry level position at gin lane, grow up the ranks. And then now with this iteration or this next phase with Pattern, you're co-founder. So let's first go business and then we can go your transition. Yeah, absolutely. I'd say, you know, as a business, it was something where we, we did run in staggered parallel initially. So we were able to, you know, close off and finish off our agency projects that mm -hmm. we'd committed to. And we actually called them like the last graduating class of Gin Lane. Oh, so I have goosebumps. <laughs> It was, it was a, you know, really special. Um, and then, you know, I think in some ways the early days of pattern were doing exactly what we did in, in our agency days. It was creating the brands and the identities. So honestly, at first it, it didn't feel so different. Um, that's what I'd say for me personally, you know, it was certainly a really momentous series of life events. I actually received my green card the same week that we closed our first round of funding. That's the universe. So it was, you know, just all coming together. But you've got to remember so much of my personal identity had really been in my work at Gin Lane in many respects, because Gin Lane had been a part of my New York journey since, you know, three days in. Um, so it, it was something, though, that felt very natural. And to be honest, I think at Gin Lane, you know, by the time we, we closed the agency and, and I was general manager, you know, I really was an equal in so many respects and treated as a, as a partner in that business. I, I'm incredibly appreciative to Emmett for that. 
And I think, you know, as, as is evidenced by me as a child and having those strong opinions and not being afraid to tell people what to do, I kind of just took that approach in my work, you know? Um, and I've always just thought of myself as, you know, okay, we're going and doing this. So I wasn't really limited almost by thinking, oh, well, I, oh, I started out in a more junior position and, and you know, now yeah. here's where we are. It did feel just like a very organic journey. Yeah. So I love that you talked on identity uh, because like you said, I mean, it is a massive part of a lot of people. And I think a lot of people that listen to this podcast, you know, deal with this. And a lot of these people are in kind of like a transition period or rethinking or reimagining or, you know, kind of in, I guess, in the position that you were in, in the transition from Jin Lane to pattern. Um, but how did that identity change for you from employee to founder? And like, what process did you go through to like, not have like a funeral for that part of you of like the gin lane, but really like step into this role with pattern. I think because it was such a gradual process, it didn't feel like there was ever one day where it was one. And then the next day it was, you know, a black and white difference. And so I think for me, it was about also embracing the fears that I had mm -hmm. and being able to learn to talk very vulnerably and say when I didn't know something or when I was struggling with something, you know, to, to the team around me as well and acknowledge that we were all going through a time of transition. Um, but I think, you know, in, in regards to becoming a, a co-founder versus an employee, I have always had the mentality of almost like an owner. And I think, honestly, I, I like any team member to have that feeling as well. I think it's why in startups you give equity as well as cash compensation. Mm -hmm. You are building something together. And, and I've always taken that mentality, quite frankly, agnostic of, of equity, as I think that's really how you achieve and get to where you're meant to be in your career. You shouldn't be relying on those around you to navigate it for you. You should just be really putting one foot in front of the other. And in doing so, you'll walk down the path that you're meant to and, and just be where you're meant to be. Love it. So I realize that we've been talking about pattern for now, like probably five minutes, and we haven't explained to the listeners what pattern is. So can you give us a background of what pattern is? And at what point in the gin lane, like phase, you saw this potential market and why you wanted to go in this direction? Yeah, absolutely. So so pattern is a family of brands all focused on the home, but more importantly, on enjoying those little daily moments within your home. We want to take them and make them just like a little bit better. Um, we have three brands in the family currently. So equal parts, open spaces, and most recently gear. Um, By the way, my pan is equal parts. My And I have uh, what's the open spaces. That's where my keys live in my home. Well, so you, you know. are well on your way to building a pattern home. I think we need a home tour over totally. here. <laughs> um, What's the third one? Gear. So okay. we, we um, are, have just moved into actually acquiring brands into the family also. So gear is a, a kitchen tools and utensils line that was founded in 2012, actually by this really fantastic entrepreneur, Sam. And she really organically built this business into a much-loved, profitable, multi-million-dollar business. It's it's just so impressive to see what, what she'd done to mm -hmm. it. 
And it was these incredible qualities that really attracted us to her and and to gear and, and wanting to bring it into the pattern family. You know, I um, just think that the products, and, and this is across all of our lines, but with, with gear, for example, we fell in love with their kitchen tools and utensils. I didn't know that I needed something called a spoonula, which is a <laughs> spoon crossed with a spatula Ooh. until I had it. Honestly, game changing. Amazing. Wait, so can you just give a little quick snippet for the audience on what um, open space open spaces and uh, equal parts is also? Absolutely. So open spaces is our home organization line. So bins, baskets, trays, underbed storage, um, it's, it's really just how do you create space to enjoy within your home? Um, and then equal parts is our kitchenware line, but focused on ceramic, uh, kitchen, um, kitchenware. My favorite, uh, my favorite pan is my equal parts pan. Isn't it amazing? Yeah. I make scrambled eggs in mine all the time oh my and God. it's just so delightful. It's so delicious yesterday. So, um, my boyfriend and I, we subscribe to Sakara. Love. And at dinner, you have to put your dinner on the stove. The lunch is like a cold lunch and then the dinner is hot. I respect that you can do, Sakara. I've tried. I'm now doing something called Eat Sunny a lot, actually. But Sakara is so healthy and I feel so glowing. But I feel like I need to snack a little bit more. Yeah, I do. I mean, I I definitely snack. I don't just eat Sakara. But so the lunch is a cold one and the dinner is a hot one. So every time at dinner, you either put it in the oven or you do stovetop. And yesterday, literally so funny, my boyfriend had his on or no, mine was on the on the non-equal parts pan and his was on the equal parts pan. And then when I looked at it, it was like time for them to come off. And the one that was not on the equal parts pan was like soggy. And the other one was perfect. I swear to God, I'm we not, this is not sponsored. This isn't here. sponsored at all. And I literally didn't even think about that. Like while it happened yesterday, cause I didn't even put two and two together that my pan was equal parts, but literally I took his off of the equal parts. I changed from the other pan and put my, I was like, I need to get my thing to, to be like crispier and more delicious like yours. So literally took it off the other pan, put it on equal parts, waited five minutes and I was freaking starving, but whatever. I was like, this is going to come out so yeah. much better. Put it on the equal parts one and then did it. Okay, done. You're out <laughs> testimonial. No, and, and I also swear, equal I parts pans, oven safe as well. So you can put them straight ah, from stovetop to oven. Amazing. Yeah, I need to expand my equal part. I only have that one thing. Okay, um, we'll, we'll be hooking wink, you up. Wink. Let's have a chat off. No, totally. But I, I actually didn't even think about that before, but that literally happened yesterday. It, it's premium. Thank you. I mean, look, we really put so much care and thought into everything that we do. It's such a point of personal pride for myself, but but also the team. Um, and, you know, I mean, I still I love talking to our customers and sometimes I'll jump in and ask to answer customer service tickets. And it's just so fun to hear how people are using and experiencing, you know, their items and how they use them in the context of their life and their home. And I think, you know, honestly, that's why home was so important to us, because we really feel that you invest so much time and energy into your home. It's a place where you feel comfort and control. And, and you know, like us, our homes evolve over time. So we, you know, we as Pattern are here to help you in that journey of making, shaping, growing your home. And honestly, we as a founding team are on that journey ourselves. So I was going to ask you, like being from Australia and being in a home industry, like, do you feel at home here? 
I've never felt at, like as at home as I do here. I I think that you choose where your home is. And for me, New York is home. I I absolutely miss Australia at times and of course, you know, my family, but I feel such a sense of just being able to be myself here and of the great community that I've built. My fiance is also American, so you know, we we're really we're settled here. And, you know, I brought my piece of home with me and that I actually brought my cat Buttons Kennedy with me from <laughs> Australia. So we're, we're pretty well situated. I love it. So what is your role now with Pattern? So with Pattern, I'm a co-founder and chief business officer. And so honestly, in practical terms, that means many different things. You know, in a startup, you wear a lot of hats. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think what I'm good at and, and really the reason I'm here is rolling up my sleeves and helping to operationalize and scale from, from day one. I love solving problems with our team, looking for new opportunities. So, you know, in, in my day to day, I'd say these days, probably 90% of it is spent on Zoom or, you know, Google Hangouts, meeting mostly with, you know, our internal team from marketing to supply chain to finance and, and more, and really just helping to thread the needle to ensure that we, you know, achieve our business goals and are really setting ourselves up foundationally for success. What would you say actually for someone listening that is in the beginning phases of starting a company that now that, you know, how many years has Pattern been We're in? hitting our two-year anniversary next That's month. That's crazy. That's what insane. What a whirlwind. What would you say are some foundational things? And sorry, I didn't have this in the prep questions, but I just think it would be really valuable for our listeners. Are What are just some foundational things to think about or like very simple processes that you would recommend someone who is in the beginning phases of starting a company? Look, I think you really need to nail both your brand, but also the business fundamentals. So I think in building your brand, it's how you're going to interact with the world. And I think it's really important that you know who you, like in your company are, why you exist and what your value proposition is. But you also need to really make sure that there's the sound business fundamentals that that really underpin it. You, especially in a physical product business, look at your overall margin picture. You know, one of the things I, I always say to people is really invest in taking the time to look at your financial planning and analysis. And I know this sounds like such a boring answer. No, I literally just did a whole episode on this. This was the whole point of the last episode but I did. <laughs> I think that it's so crucial and that so many times it's so easy to get caught up in things, Mm -hmm. but you really need to look at that month end close process. Typically, you know, in the early stages, it's with an outsourced, you know, accounting firm, Mm -hmm. but make sure you understand the numbers, ask the questions, try and obtain those insights, even if it's maybe not naturally what, what you were experienced doing in your prior roles, because you as a founder do need to be able to be the driving force, both of the vision, but also of really understanding that the business has legs. A great segue to this is now that you guys are acquiring companies, what is it that you look for from a business standpoint on brands or, or, you know, companies that excite you? And also what do you look for in founders? Honestly, I I go back to gear because I think it was all of the qualities of gear 
that really drew us to them and, and made them the first brand that we brought into, you know, the pattern mm-hmm. family. I'd say in general, it's really healthy and sustainable margins. Very, like what in just the home space? Is there like a margin percentage that you like I mean, on average? There's a lot of ways to look at margins. So if you're looking at a fully loaded margin, you're probably wanting to be above 50 percent uh, in in a physical product mm-hmm. business. But, you know, those margins can can vary greatly and it is very business dependent. And question about Gin Lane. Do you remember what the margins were in a service business versus product? Oh. You're asking me to think back too much. I I don't know the answer for that one off the top of my head. Okay. 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 I will say a service business is very different because it's all about people power almost. Mm-hmm. And honestly, you're charging every hour. So it doesn't scale without scaling the people. Mm-hmm. I will say at Gin Lane, we were incredibly efficient in what we did and we used every single hour very, very wisely. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were able to achieve a lot. But there is just kind of the exponential scale that you get from being in a business that isn't a service-related business. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So the healthy, the numbers need to be healthy, numbers 50%. need to be healthy. A very loyal customer base. You know, we want to see that customers love the product. So it had to have launched already. Had to have launched already. You know, I think typically we're looking at businesses that have been in in market for for a little while. You know, Gear was founded in 2012. Mm -hmm. And I think the fact that Sam was able to really organically grow, it was just incredibly impressive to us. And then, of course, you know, category specific, you know, where we have a focus on home centric goods that are, you know, really responsibly made and also design forward. Mm, I love it. So like I said, this podcast is really for the person who is building their business or is like also in a transition phase and wants to, you know, level up or get to that next thing or wants to live in their active ingredient and purpose, which I think that you are, at least you seem glowing and excited about what you're doing. Um, And they may not, not even know what questions to ask themselves or what those first steps should be. What advice would you give to someone who wants it and doesn't know what to do next? Honestly, go with your gut and don't feel that you have to have every single step mapped out. Like I didn't. I literally started off in my small country town in the middle of the outback and I could never have predicted that I'd be building my career here in New York. I think I think sometimes people fall into the trap of thinking that they have to go down a path just because they've started it. I could very easily have fallen into that trap, right? I studied education. I was meant to be a teacher. But I think that that didn't feel right to me. So, you know, I took a beat and I I paused. And I would encourage, honestly, everyone to do the same. Take that breath, you know, really pause and reflect. What makes them excited every day? What are they inherently just good at? What comes most naturally to them? And, you know, I didn't take that linear path to get here. I don't have a business degree. I don't have my MBA. But I did work my way up in this industry, really gaining over a decade of hands-on knowledge and experience. And I genuinely feel that I can hold my own and that, you know, by following my instincts, I'm actually right where I'm meant to be. And, and I'd say don't forget to ask for help when needed. You know, it's okay to say I need some help and guidance or I, I just don't know and just network up a storm. You'll be really surprised by, I think, how 
open and how willing people are to help you. And most of all, just keep going. You know, like put one foot in front of the other and take it by day by day. You know, you will get where you're meant to be. Just keep persevering. I love it. Okay. Where can everyone find you? Or actually, before I get into that, what is your literal active ingredient? Something that you literally have to eat, <gasps> do, consume, a person you have to call? Oh my God. What's, what, what does that I look like? I love this question. <laughs> Hands down, English breakfast tea with a dash of milk. Can't live without it. I actually pack tea bags in my handbag just in case I'm ever somewhere that they don't <laughs> offer it. I just love what it. What brand? I need specifics. And what milk? <sighs> okay. <laughs> I'm actually very flexible on the brand. I'm I'm not that into fancy teas. I'll be happy with a good old Lipton tea, especially okay. with the volume I drink. <laughs> uh, but I, I do, I am partial to like a Honey and Sons or a Twinings as well. And then ideally 2% milk. But you know what? If full fat's where it's at, totally fine with that too. For me, I just, I, I need tea. 20 okay. plus cups of tea a day. I think I, I'm going to find a premium tea just to send you as a thank you for coming on the podcast. <laughs> oh <laughs> or maybe gosh. just a box of Lipton. <laughs> just a box of Lipton is great. You know, like the, the Lipton tea bags say, what, are, what is it? Be more tea, you know? And I'm like, you can't. Um, <laughs> Amazing. Okay. For also everyone listening that is interested in Pattern and all the family of brands that you guys have, what would you say is like the best entry product to get into the pattern family? Well, you know, it depends what you're into. I think, you know, a safe bet, certainly the spoonula. (laughs) Just going to put it out there. Oh my God, I need to get Um, on that. And, you know, I think for your entryway, you know, or honestly anywhere in your home, our open spaces nesting trays are just a really fabulous, versatile product. I have them in my home. Again, this is not sponsored at all. I literally have them in my home. I can send you a picture when I get back. Obsessed. That's where I got my keys before leaving to come here. Love (laughs) them. Amazing. Maybe we should do a giveaway and see if people would want to do something. Love that. Let's talk about it. All right. Amazing. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And actually, I'm going to ask one more question to weave into it because I just like I'm a huge resource person. I love books, reading podcasts, all those things. Is there anything that you've like read or leaned on that you think would be helpful to the active ingredient listener? Honestly, I'm going to say it's not a book, but it's actually a framing of your own thinking. I think the biggest learning and kind of unlock for me was when I framed my thinking to embrace feedback. I used to be so scared of feedback and feel like maybe I wasn't doing a good enough job. And when I really started to embrace it, I realized that that was how you learn and grow. It's the biggest unlock that you can have. And then the other thing is, is try and really find a mentor or, or mentors if you're lucky enough within your network, because that's another area that I regularly lean on. And I've seen such growth both personally and professionally through, through having just those folks that I can turn to. And so I'm very thankful for that. Incredible. Where can everyone find you and Pattern? Well, for Pattern, visit us at PatternBrands.com or on Instagram at PatternBrands. And if you want to follow along on my fun little life adventures with with my cat, at Suze Dowling on Instagram. Perfect. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me, Sophie. This was so fun. This was so fun. (laughs) I loved it. it. Thank you guys so much for listening. It would mean the world to us if you could rate and review us. And for more inspiration and quotes from the episode, check us out on Instagram at Active Ingredient. See you next week.